When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Tuesday morning, the first Tuesday in April. You know what that means. Last night was the national championship game. Uh, Kansas with a 72-69 to win over the North Carolina Tar Heels in a pretty fantastic basketball game. Kansas setting a new NCAA record for the largest comeback ever in, I think, the Final Four. I know for sure in the national championship game. Uh, started the second half on a 20 to six run to I think 22 to six run to erase a 15 point deficit uh, at the half and uh, the big 12 for the second consecutive year Scott Christopherson is uh, at the top of the mountaintop uh, we, we reached the summit the best league in America is the king again I think I was gonna say I think the big 12 is the best league in the country this year and you know it's fitting Kansas uh Kansas got it done. It's funny. I, I didn't think that they, if you would ask me like on G, G, January 15th or, you know, February 1st, I didn't think Kansas was going to win the league. I didn't think Kansas would be the national title team out of the big 12 and, you know, Bill self does it again. I mean, it, you know, I know they're a rival and in a lot of ways they might make us want to pull our hair out, but I've said it for a long time. In my view, he's the standard for big 12 coaching has been for a really long time. And, you know, they had an incredible comeback. Um, I did find myself being a little rebellious towards being a big 12 homer. I was cheering for North Carolina. Uh, I think the, um, Armando Baycott, the, 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 the performance he put on despite the, his injury was just, it was hard to not root for him, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I just, I wanted to see a great basketball game. I think that's what we saw and, uh, you can't help but tip your cap to Kansas. Yeah. Armando Baycott and then you put on, spit on the ground after you tip your cap to him, but we you still will still tip our cap to him. Yeah. You got to wash the dirty taste out of your mouth. Obviously, yes, yes. you know, yeah. Got to use a little mouthwash afterwards, but uh, Armando Baycott put on a tournament performance for the ages. One that it, I think is unfortunate that it will end up being kind of a footnote in everything, but to also, put up, side note, can we stop putting the slow-mo on Twitter of his ankle, like breaking in half? I, yeah. I just, what is up with that? I, I know I'm a little new to Twitter, but this obsession with having to re I have a weak stomach for that stuff to begin with. So it really hits a fuse for me, but like, holy smokes, I'm just, it, it grosses me out. One thing Sorry, that I, that's my tangent for today. Well, okay. One thing about that, that I thought was really weird that it didn't seem like anybody mentioned. It looked like he, his foot hit like a dead spot on the floor because the floor like flexed under his foot. And I know that those floors are elevated and obviously they're supposed to flex a little bit, but it looked like it flexed almost too much. And that's oh. why his foot rolled the way it did. And I, I, I mean, I don't know, like I, that's probably hard to like pick up, but it, it seemed like the floor like moved more than it's supposed to when he took that step. And I, I, that's why I think that he, it, he slipped the way he did. And it was really unfortunate. Like I said, to get, I think he had 99 rebounds in the NCAA tournament which is the second most ever in an NCAA tournament. And the guys that were in the top five, 
I mean, these, these records are like from the fifties, you know, <laughs> when, when they counted rebounds differently, like to put up that many rebounds to grab that many rebounds in six games is unbelievable. Yeah. And to have six straight double doubles is unbelievable. And it was a, I mean, an all time great NCAA tournament performance. He tied the NCAA record for double doubles in a single season tying David Robinson's record of 31. I mean, that's, they played how many games they play. North Carolina played 39 games. Armando Baycott had a double-double in 31 of them. That's amazing. And I don't, I don't pay close attention to draft boards and things like that. And I know – I mean, he's he's not a below-the-rim guy, but he's also not like an 11-foot rebound guy. You know, he's strong. He knows how to use his body. He understands angles. I would think that he – you know, would probably come back for another year, but he's got a future in the NBA. I would think as a, you know, a role player and just a savvy, I don't know. He just strikes me as one of those guys that'll find his niche in the league because of the way he approaches the game and how he plays it. And he'll just be a, a great role player in the NBA and, and do really well for himself. He was, he was uh, really inspiring. And then manic too. I don't know why I found myself just fascinated by manic. I mean, he's scrawny, but he's out there like blocking shots and moving his feet, defending, you know, he steps out and, and shoots the three. I, I saw somebody tweeted that after he hit one of those big threes against Duke, he held bang, bang, a word we can't say on. And like I guys like that are just scrappy and play tougher than what their stature looks like. Uh, I, I always find myself kind of maybe because I'm, you know, trying to be biased towards myself. Right. Like uh, I always find myself appreciating those sorts of players um, I know he why. also struck me as a guy that is probably hiking up a mountain today, doing some yoga too. Like that hair flow and that beard, like just seemed like one with nature and one with the game of basketball. I mean, I know why you love Brady Manick. He's a big 12 guy, four years with the Oklahoma Sooners. There you, know? you go. There you go. People forget that he had, I think the highest scoring freshman duo in NCAA history with a guy named Trey Young. I don't know if you ever heard of ever heard of him but yeah that uh, guy, he, yeah he burned out yeah he burned out yeah <laughs> yeah Brady you know it it was obviously the high point at that point for Trey Young it wasn't going to get any better it just only got kept getting better for Brady Manick though yes uh, to where he could finally play for a national title uh, uh no but it, it like I I have a lot of respect for what UNC was able to do and man what they were able to do in the first half of the game with on the boards there's not very many teams that can dominate Kansas on the glass, like what they were able to early in that game. And that's it. I mean, I think that's especially a credit to Baycott, but Brady Manick yeah. did a great job with that as well. And, you know, I thought that was what really flipped the game in the second half is that Kansas was able to take control of the glass. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know if take control, they were able to do a better job on the glass and keep mm -hmm. North Carolina from getting multiple offensive rebounds on possessions. Cause like in the first half, I think, I think North Carolina had like a 14 to two advantage in second chance points at, at one point, you know, and then the second half, you're able to get some boards, you're able to get some turnovers and get out and run. And that's when you really saw Kansas make their, make their move. Yeah. I, I think that North Carolina in the first half just kind of out toughed them out, you know, played a little bit of bully ball on them. And then Kansas, you know, was able to kind of get it together at halftime. And I think you said it right. I don't think Kansas just dominated them in the second half on the boards or anything like that, but you know, if Kansas was going to break even with North Carolina in that game on the boards and loose balls and things like that, you kind of had a feeling that they just had a little bit more firepower offensively, which is kind of, in my opinion, a little bit of what we saw play out in the, the second half there. Yeah. And I think, 
my my biggest gripe, David McCormick should have been the most outstanding player of the Final Four. I, I've even seen media members who were at the game that would have voted and been credentialed members that would have been able to vote for the award that said they voted for David McCormick and they haven't talked to anybody who voted for Ochai Baji. So that's what – I have a conspiracy theory. Oh, gosh. I think the NCAA – We are in the offseason, folks. I think the NCAA manipulated the most outstanding player award voting because they were not prepared for Kansas to actually win the game after North Carolina got up 15 at, at halftime. And then it got to where there was probably some media members who put in their vote at halftime. There were probably uh, some guys who did it early in the first half. And then it got to the end of the game and they're like, well, we have to give it to somebody. And we're just going to give it to the guy who was the first team All-American. Because I did not think that Ocha Agbaji was worthy of winning that award, at, at minimum for the way he played last night. But he – I mean, he was good on Saturday. But David right. McCormick scored 25 points on Saturday, led the team last night with 15 points, and was phenomenal on the glass in both games. So, like, I don't understand how anybody can sit here and say that that guy was not the X factor in winning the – in them winning those two games. That's just my personal opinion. Like I said, I, right. that's my tinfoil cap uh tinfoil hat you know conspiracy theory but i just i i didn't i didn't like that very much that he did not win the award i don't disagree with you that a lot of times you know on those awards if it's close or it's not clear cut um a lot of times the guy that was the the star of the team all season the first team all american probably gets the nod which i think is what happened i don't know that i would go as far as to say uh the the voting was somehow. No, no, no. You no. Wade inspired. into the waters with me, Scott. Wade into inspired. the conspiracy waters with me. Come on, man. But yeah. I, I usually, you know, we're in the off season. I think I'm going to at least wait until May until I get my tinfoil hat out of the closet. So right. I, I'll. That's that's fair. It's a personal choice. There's snow on the ground still. I, I feel like I can't just fully go there yet. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see now what happens with Kansas. Who? How many of those guys? come back i mean obviously ochai is not coming back like he'll be no. he, he will go to the nba he will be a guy i think will play in the nba for a very long time and will make a lot of money playing basketball if he uh, does come back the entire cyclone nation we're all having a, a grieving scotch together and because we don't I, we don't want him back <laughs> no the, the entire big 12 does not want ochai no. to come back and that i tweeted that out i think uh on saturday when he started six of six from three point range I was Please like, we a millionaire. get this <laughs> guy out of here. Get this guy out of here. I've seen enough. Go play in the NBA, man. Uh, he, yeah, he was such a fun player to watch, too. And, like, yes. this is what I, I want to give Kansas some credit for. You know, you get a big-time transfer in Remy Martin. But other than that, man, like, that team is not what I would say was one of the most talented Kansas teams. You have a bunch of guys who were kind of self-made players where they had to really work and – you know, improve, you know, David McCormick was not a very good player when he got to Kansas. Uh, Agbaji wasn't, was like an under the radar recruit out of Kansas city who had to work his way into being a superstar. You know, Christian Brown is not someone that I would sit here and say was a, a big headline type of name. I think that they had, I saw a stat today that uh, something like the last 20 national champions or something like that had had, I think five top 100 players on their roster until Kansas. They didn't have five top 100 players on their roster. And that's what I think is kind of cool about how they were able to put it all together to, to win the entire thing. And that's where I think you got to give some credit to, to Bill Self. You know, 
Baylor was a lot of the same way. Like those guys were transfers, but they were a lot of under the radar guys that had to work their way up into being the stars that they were by the time they won a national title. The coaching in this league is so damn good, dude. And like, and I thought Bill Self put on an absolute clinic last night with some of the sets that he was running, especially in the second half. Some of the adjustments that they made were so good. Like, I don't know what North Carolina could have done to counter them. And like, I, I think that Bill Self deserves a tip of the cap because that guy is as good as it gets in college basketball. And, and I think you saw why last night. I agree. I think, first off, I wanted to say this earlier, but they need to do an in-game interview with Hubert Davis on every North Carolina game that's nationally televised because those are fascinatingly entertaining. And he is very likable. I mean that as a compliment, but his like raw emotion is awesome. But Bill Self, and we were talking a little bit about this before you hopped on, He's like that golfer that just never hits a bad shot. And so you have to play an A game to beat him because he doesn't, his teams just don't give you anything easy. Um, And I I think with Kansas, you know, they're a rival. We don't like them. I acknowledge that. But when you take a step back and you take a step back out of big, and you just look at college basketball as a whole, I think, and we talked a little bit about last week, like why people watch college sports and why people gravitate towards them, toward them and the pageantry and the, the passion. I think people appreciate, yes, Kansas is a blue blood, blood program, but they're not like Kentucky where it's just a new wheel of five or six McDonald's all Americans and five-star transfers that are all going to be lottery picks. And then next year they do it all over again. Now, don't get me wrong. I wish we could get a few of those guys. I'm not throwing shade on Kalapari for doing that, but I think there's something about having a blue blood program that brings guys in, develops them, grows them, teaches them to maximize their skill set, And they go on and have successful pro careers. But I just, I think that makes Kansas a much more likable program than like a Kentucky per se. Yeah, and I think that it speaks to, you know, when Kansas had was doing the one-and-done thing and was, like, really leaning into that when you're getting the Wiggins, uh, the Embiid's, the, the, the guys like that, their teams were good, but they were never this good, you know. And I think it just speaks to the value of having those guys who are the four-year players. It's a lot like what we've talked about with Iowa State, man, like why Iowa State was so good, especially during Fred's time. You know, the transfers were a big deal, but it was the four-year guys. It was the George Niangs. It was the Nas Longs, the Matt Thomases, the Monte Morrises that really set them apart, right. you know? And you look at Kansas now, like the, the teams that I feel like Bill Self's had since his 2008 team that have really been the, the best ones. It's been the ones with Perry Ellis, with Frank Mason, Devonte Graham, uh, yeah. you know, uh, man, I can't remember LeGerald Vick. Uh, and then obviously this group with all these guys, like these are all guys that had to work for it and not just be, you know, Andrew Wiggins was the number one player in the country from the time that he was like in the eighth grade, like that. And we all, appre- we all appreciate that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the NBA is great. And you want to watch the best, most skilled, big, tall, fast players in the world, turn on an NBA game. I mean, mm-hmm. they're so much better than college players, but I think people watch college sports for the camaraderie and the passion. And I think when you see, a team like Kansas, who's got a couple of guys that will no question get a a shot in the NBA, but they, they built it from the ground up. There was a culture there. There was a tradition there. You know, it's just, again, we don't like them. We want their best players to all leave. Um, But uh, you can't help but respect it for sure. You know, well, I have bad news for you. They've got three McDonald's all Americans coming in next year. 
So the the Jayhawks are not going anywhere. Back to why we don't like them. So you <laughs> the know, Jayhawks we, are not going we've anywhere. The, we've squared the circle, and let's you know, let's let's bash them. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what. Well, I'm interested to see what happens with the uh, with their uh, NCAA investigation this summer. I think that that stuff's all probably going to come out here before too long. But uh, all right, let's shift gears. We've got some Iowa State stuff to talk about here still. Uh, big news coming out yesterday morning uh get a commitment from temple transfer jeremiah williams uh six foot five guard averaged about nine points a game uh, a couple assists a couple boards uh really good defender really long good and a good athlete um a guy that is not going to come in and be a prolific scorer for you but i think that we've seen in college basketball over the last several years that having guys who are capable of making plays for other people you can never have too many of those guys, you know, and you can never have too many guys that are, are able to get to the rack and make things happen uh, on the offensive end while also being disruptors defensively. And it, it, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to watch much of him, but he seems like a guy that kind of fits in with the culture that TJ wants to build. I'm thoroughly convinced that TJ has the goal of winning a game 25 to 20 at some point in time in the big 12. I'm kidding. But um, no, he, I, I think he'll, you know, you lose Isaiah who was like a big time athlete, right. And can guard multiple positions. He can guard you fours. He can switch onto ones. And from what I've read about him in the little bit that I've saw him move, he looks like a guy with that sort of a body type. Uh, I think he'll be a guy that they will lean on to be a playmaker at some point in time, a guy that can get, you know, bounce it off, bounce it and, and use his, his frame and his athleticism, whether it's in the post or, you know, with some straight line drives, you know, we'll see how he progresses as time goes on with his skill set. And, uh, you know, when you lose a guy like Isaiah, I think it makes a lot of sense to go and find somebody like a tone setting type of player, which, you know, my guess would be TJ's probably got at some point, like, uh, an idea of him maybe being that for, for one of his mm-hmm. rosters. You would like to see him shoot better than tw- the 26% from three that he is for his college career. Uh, this is my biggest concern about the roster going into next season is the is, lack of shooting. Yeah. The lack of shooting is a, is becoming a very glaring thing at this point, because you've got, I'm, I have a concern about what it's going to look like when, if you take Tyrese Hunter out of the game and you have Jeremiah Williams in there as your back, as your point guard, and then you've got Gabe Kalsher out there on the floor too. We know that Gabe can get hot, but he's just been so inconsistent, you know? And even if you have Caleb grill out there again, we know that Caleb grill can get really hot, but Caleb is really inconsistent. Sometimes, you know, that group right there is a group that, you know, you're probably not going to score. You just got to hope the other team's not going to score either. If that's going to be your combination of guards at that point. And and now that our season is over, you know, it's always like when you're in the middle of the season, having been a player on teams in the middle of seasons where you go through struggles, you know, you're always a little tentative to just kind of really, really cut, you know, cut, cut to it. But mm-hmm. this team struggled to score last year. Mm-hmm. The fact that they won 22 games, and they had six or seven games, I think, where they didn't score above 50. Like that, the odds of that happening again are very, 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 very small. Yeah. And so you think about, you know, whether Isaiah came back or not, going into next year, they're going to have to become a more proficient offensive team. You're not just going to to beat people up 
over, you know, enough times in a season to go to an NCAA tournament or finish in the top five of the big 12 or whatever your goals are. And, you know, again, I'm not like, this is a good get for them. In my opinion, I think TJ is wanting to build a culture, but at some point in time, their like skill is required to take that next step and be more competitive on a consistent basis where you don't have a handful of those just brutal performances. And I know we talked a little bit last week about Gabe's development and Caleb's development and Tyrese's development. And I do think that they can make some ground up there, but the long and the short of it, in my view is in the backcourt, they've got to find some guys that can make shots on a consistent basis. Some, you know, some guys that can make shots like a a Naz long, like a Matt Thomas that you can consistently say, like, if we get him eight open looks tonight, he's going to knock down four of them. You know, where he can consistently shoot a 40 plus percent. And then in the front court, they need guys that can go up and rebound the basketball at 10, 10 and a half feet that can erase some shots and that are quick enough to move their feet on switches and not be a liability on defense. They haven't addressed all of those things yet. I know Trey King will be a guy that they lean heavily on for that. I'm sure they've got a few other things that they're working on trying to get going. But to me, if they don't improve in those two areas, do I feel good about us repeating a 21 season next year? No. I mean, that's just, it. could it happen? Could I be wrong on that? 100%. But, you know, it, when you look at the probabilities and you look at the margin for error, when you can't score, your margin for error is very low. Yeah. And I, I think to think that they're going to be a top five defense every year is probably not very realistic. You know, like, the I think in a best case scenario, you get to where, you know, to have a top 20 defense is still pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, like if you could be a top 20 defense, but have a top 50 offense, I think right. that you're in a much better position to be able to have a good feeling about what you're going to be able to do on any given night. Mm-hmm. It, it's where you can't be a top five offense and a top 175 offense, you know, yeah. And I think one thing that was repetitive that came up throughout the season, you know, was like, well, why don't they make more adjustments offensively? Why don't they do more of this or do more of that? And I think in my opinion, when you don't have guys that can shoot the ball consistently, put the ball on the floor for a couple of dribbles. If I'm playing Iowa state, I'm just not guarding them. Like here I'm standing at 17 feet, prove me wrong. So whatever adjustments you make, it doesn't really matter because they're just going to not guard certain players as hard. They're just going to slough off of certain guys as hard, you know, slough off of certain guys more and just say, you guys go beat us. And that's where you've got to have some guys, you got to have shot makers, you got to have some bucket getters. And, you know, that's where I would think there's probably a pretty concerted effort to find a couple of those guys, because, you know, it's like, it's like in, in, in football, I, I always try to try to cross-reference cross reference sports, right? Like when you have a receiver that the other team has to double all the time, now your second, third, and fourth guy's job is a lot easier. But if you don't have that guy and now they can just play two shell over the top, it makes everybody else's job way more difficult mm-hmm. to win on a consistent basis. And that's where Iowa state needs a few guys offensively that can make the game easy for ever easier for the role players and still efficiently get you 15 or 18 night in and night out. And I think Tyrese is going to be that guy for them, but they need some other guys to, to help him or it'll actually take away from his development too. 
And I think that this is actually something that we're going to see how this plays out, even with Iowa state football. And I know you're not an Iowa state. You probably don't follow Iowa state football that closely, but you know, Charlie Kohler has been a guy that teams have had to put a lot of attention towards. And if you single covered him, he was going to be open like right. all of the time. It made Xavier Hutchinson's life a lot easier to have Charlie Kohler on the field with them. You know, it made Jalen Knowles life a lot easier to have Charlie Kohler on the field with them. It makes Travis Kelsey's life a lot easier when he had Tyree kill out there, you know, right. like it made Miko Hardman and Byron Pringle and all of those guys. It made them look really freaking good when you had Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey out there that are going to draw four defenders between the two of them, you know? Yep. And like, that's what we're kind of talking about here. And I, 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 I think that they are making an effort right there. I think right now you're kind of seeing that they're probably putting a bit of a focus on the front court. And I think that that's perfectly fine. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems like they're maybe still playing the guard situation a little bit. Uh, just kind of seeing how that, that situation shakes out and who goes into the portal and stuff like that. But I do think that right now today, like the front court is the bigger concern to me because I think they had, that was the thing to me during the season that kept them from being, that taking that next step to being really good. They were just, they just got beat too consistently in the front court uh, by just about everybody they played, you know, and they have to get better in that area in my mind, if they're going to make a significant leap and as a program, because you just have to get better down low, whether, and that's on both ends offensively and defensively. I, I think that until they do that, you know, a lot of these things, I don't know how much they matter at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and let's be honest. The TJ and his entire staff have had dozens of conversations and I'm sure they're aware of this. And it's, it's always easy to say, go get this guy and go get that guy, but you actually have to convince them to come to your school. So, mm -hmm. you know, these are just things I think that we would like to see. I think that you will see things move and shake in the next month or so in, and they will try to address some of these things. And I think a big, you know, a big storyline going into the off season will be, you know, which guys can they get to, to come and be a part of this, this rebuild, which, yeah. you know, is already way ahead of schedule, but I, I still think it's in the rebuilding phase. Yeah. And I think, but I think too, they've got some great things to sell, you know, oh, like if you're a wing scorer, you're, you know, you're a scoring guard or something like that. How do you not look at what Isaiah Brockington just did and the leap he made in one year at Iowa state and say, man, and like, you can go and say like, man, this is what we did for this guy, you know, Isaiah was not an elite scorer at Penn state. If you get a guy who's like a mid major, really high level of mid major scorer, or really, you know, maybe a guy like a Mariel Shayok who was at Virginia, who was played in a system that didn't really fit what he, the kind of scorer that he was someone like that. And you go to him and you say, Hey, we helped this guy go from being a, you know, average big 10 player to being a first team, all big 12 guy. That looks like he could have a really good professional future. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to do that same thing for you because you can come be the centerpiece of our offense. We need that guy. But, it, and at the same time, you've got a really good young point guard that you can sell. And that's something that Jeremiah Williams even told me the idea of coming to play with Tyrese Hunter is very appealing to people. You know, like, yeah. I think that kid, like, I think that guys look at that kid and they say, man, that's a guy who can set me up to do some really good things and is going to draw a lot of attention and going to make my life a lot easier, you know? And I think that that's where their baseline that they're starting with right now today is so much higher than where it was at this time a year ago. Obviously you're coming off winning zero games in the big 12 a year ago. So like that is, you know, is, 
mm-hmm. obvious to state that, but it, I just, I don't think it can be understated how much better the situation is for them right now than what it was a year ago with what they're trying to work through from a recruiting standpoint, there's going to be a lot higher profile guys who are just interested in Iowa state and are open to having conversation with, with Iowa state because of those things that you've been able to see what they did with Isaiah and then what Tyrese was able to do as a freshman and how high his ceiling can be moving forward. Well, and, and when you're coming off a two-win season and you're making phone calls to coaches and players, you're just hoping they don't hang up on you. When you win 22 games and go to a sweet 16, everybody's calling you back and having at least a discussion with you. And yeah, there's, they've seen what some of the transfers came in and done. And, you know, it, TJ's really good at this piece of it too. He's good at having conversations with people. He gets people what motivates people, you know, how he can fit in what he sees for them with what they want. Uh, And I think that that's where he's really built up a reputation of being a great recruiter. Iowa state's built up a reputation of being a great place to go as a transfer. And, you know, there's countless guys that came in as transfers and had breakout seasons and went on to have wildly successful professional careers. So uh, I, I, I agree that the, the recruiting juice is, much different this year than it was a year ago at this time. And I think it's really helpful too, to have a bunch of guys from Iowa state that are playing in the NBA right now that are people that basketball fans would know, you know, or people that watch basketball consistently would know if you watch a, a lot, lot of basketball, you recruited. Yeah. A lot of them TV recruited and they would advocate for him too. You know, right. it's and like, like he has no connection to some of these guys. Exactly. And if, like if you're a basketball fan, you know who Monte Morris is, the, the point guard for the Denver Nuggets, one of the best teams in the Western Conference. If you're a basketball fan, you know who Taylor Horton Tucker is playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. Obviously, Jeremiah Williams right. just said that he made a call to Taylor Horton Tucker. He told Matt Bain that and asked Taylor about his experience in Ames. You know, and with when those guys can say positive things, that's going to help you a lot. What I think what Tyrese Halliburton has been doing right now is going to be huge for what they do in Wisconsin. Like I know that Tyrese did not play for TJ but that's a guy who is like a hero, you know? And I think we learned that when I went up there, those people love Tyrese Halliburton. Like they, they love Tyrese Halliburton like we do. And uh, to see him, dude, did you see the other night? He had 17 assists and zero turnovers in his game. Is that good? That, that is pretty good. There's not, there, there is one player in the NBA who has 17 assists and or 15 plus assists and zero turnovers in a game this year. And it's Tyrese Halliburton, and he's done it twice. That's how good yeah. Tyrese Halliburton has been this year. That kid is unbelievable. But uh, yeah, right. you know, it's, uh, I know we talked about this a while ago. I just, if you're the Sacramento Kings, what are you telling yourself to get a little sleep at night today? Sunday night, Sacramento Kings were eliminated from playoff. Been playing well. I just, I would say, why could those two players not play really well together? <laughs> uh, so, Sunday night, the Sacramento Kings were eliminated from playoff contention for the 20th consecutive year. I want that to be, that needs to be noted. All of these people that were out here, oh, the Kings are going to make a playoff push with Demonis Sabonis. Yeah, right. Good one. Who feels better now? The guy that you just gave up a guy that you had like six years of team control for a guy you've got two years of team control to not even make the playoffs in the first of those two years. So congratulations. Yeah, I know got it. He's got an all-star appearance or two to his name. Is that correct? Yeah. I think he's got one. Yeah. yeah. One. Okay. So I'm not trying to say that he's not a, you know, whatever we'll call him a B level player, but mm-hmm. I just think, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, the, 
I mean, he's not only is he an A prospect, but I, I, he's like, and I've said this before, like listen to him talk, watch how he carries himself. Like he's a guy, he's a model citizen for your franchise in addition to being probably one of the best young point guards there is. Yeah. I just, I mean, that's, that's an all time head scratching move. Yeah. All right. Last thing we need to hit on jazz Koontz is coming back. Uh, huge news for him. I think that I learned on Saturday that few players in Iowa state history have a higher approval rating than jazz Koontz seems to everybody was so psyched that he was coming back. And I didn't see a single person with anything negative to say about him. And I, I was like, that it's very rare that you don't have at least one person who is like, Oh my God, I hate that guy. And no one hates yeah. him. Like they, they all love the way that he plays. They love the energy that he brings, the passion that he plays the game with. Uh, is he a super dynamic guy? I mean, no, you know, yep. but man, he goes out there and he does his thing and it. I was talking to, I think I was talking to my dad maybe about this. We were talking about, uh, man, I think we were talking about Brad Davison. I can't even remember who it was, but we were talking about the people who do the flopping and like all those kinds of things. And where there's like a line between you're a really good player who like doesn't need to do those things. And then there's like, there are guys that have to do those things to keep themselves on the floor and to make themselves valuable. Jazz is one of those guys has, that has to do those things to like make himself valuable, do those garbage things that make him really annoying to opposing teams. Whereas then there's like the people like, you know, Brad Davison, Grayson Allen, some of those kinds of guys, they don't have to do those kinds of things to be really good. But like that comes, like, I don't know, like I love jazz because he just, he's not super athletic. He's not going to like out, like, out at athlete people or anything like that. He's not going to outshoot people. He's not going to be this guy that's like, you watch him and you're like, man, this dude is just an absolute unbelievable talent. But he makes himself really valuable because he just knows how to make plays. And like, I can really appreciate that. You know, it's just someone who just has to be a grinder to be able to even keep themselves on the floor. I feel like you're baiting me into just going on and making fun of Brad Davison again. No, I'm so, not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm, not I'm kidding. Like, but yeah. um, it, it's, uh, I think jazz is a little bit more like does he sometimes try to draw some charges and you could say yeah that was a flop or he didn't get there yes but he's not after every not dirty. play yeah yeah he's not a, like he's not out there soccer style flopping right on every play. and i think yeah, yeah yes he hustles and he's smart and he uses his you know cerebral game to overcome maybe some of his athletic limitations from a big 12 standpoint, but he's not, uh, you know, he's not out there after every play pumping the crowd up and after every play, you know, laying on the floor, like he just got laid out on a football game or something. So I think it's just a little bit more authentic in my opinion. And I, yeah, I, I get why everybody likes jazz. I think jazz is a, he's a model role player. And I think jazz really leans into that. And, you know, I, I, I think that both about him and Rob Jones as guys that whether you play them for five minutes or 25 minutes, you know what you're going to get. You know what you're getting, I'm guessing, on the practice floor each and every day. And uh, those guys are very undervalued when you're building a roster in the offseason, in my opinion, because in January and February in the dog days of the season, you, you get the same jazz, you get the same um, Rob jo Bob Jones day in and day out. And as a coach, there's no better trait in people than consistency. Yeah. And I, I just thought that, especially during the tournament, you could see when he was on the floor, they were drastically better on both ends. I thought, Yeah, I mean, he, 
he he makes a lot of winning basketball plays. I do got to say, living in Wisconsin, it's interesting. I have a couple of Badger friends. They are convinced that Iowa State like played rugby and punked the refs to beat the Badgers. Like that's their rationale behind Iowa State's win to win over the Badgers. And I just. I, I mean, I have fun and, you know, I don't know if anybody picked up on this over my March Madness Twitter uh, exchanges with Iowa, but I, I do enjoy going back and forth with uh, opposing fan bases and just the, the things that people will try to say to kind of like rationalize what happened and somehow they're still the better team um, never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, I, that's pretty funny. I would say beat them. <laughs> I, I mean, they, I mean, they literally tried to say like they didn't even play basketball; they were playing rugby. And I'm like, well, welcome to the Big Twelve, my ass, brother. So I don't really care what you want to say. They played; they won. Like, I man, if they're gonna say anything, why would why don't they say? Well, if Johnny Davis had been healthy, it would have been different. I think that's a much better argument, probably than than whatever that is. That's crazy. Okay. All right, man. Uh, anything else that you want to touch on? We're uh, we're going to do some different stuff here. We're going to try and start doing some interviews starting next week, but, and try and get some of these guys that are, are on the team and, uh, and things like that. Some, some of your former teammates, some other guys from around the big 12, nope. but uh, I, I would just say if there are, as we get into the off season, we do want to do more interviews with players, coaches, refs. Um, you know, if there are people that you think and be realistic, but if there are people that you think would be fun interviews for us to do, um, you know, shoot, you know, Jared and myself, uh, um, you know, a, a mention on Twitter of, you know, just some different people that you guys think would be entertaining to, to listen to, whether it's talking about being a coach, you know, life in the big 12 life as a Iowa state basketball player, whatever. Um, because we want to obviously continue to make sure we're, we're having fun and talking hoops, but we're doing things that are entertaining for everybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. It's been a fun season, man. It was a, a really fun college basketball season. Uh, I'm looking forward to the off season to do some different type of stuff, but man, this has been, this has been pretty cool, dude. Last night I was sitting there and I was just like, man, what a year. Like, it's just, I feel like, I feel like that after every national championship game, but I just, I, I was very appreciative of college basketball this year, I think. Yeah. You know, fans back in the stands, I think Iowa state, you know, we, we felt like we were back in college basketball, you know, mm -hmm. with what this team gave us and, and, you know, a sweet 16 appearance, no one saw coming. So it was, uh, it was a unique year, a special year. I don't, I don't think it's one that will just like, I think this one will always stand out a little bit as like a, a year we remember. And I think a lot of that is just when something hits you that you never saw coming, like you definitely, you you remember those things. Absolutely. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to everybody again soon. Have a great week. Peace.